Well, good morning, family. How's everybody doing? Doing good. All right. It's good to see you guys. If I'm yet to meet you, my name is Drew, and I serve as one of the pastors here at NBC Montgomery County, and it's good to be together with you guys. Uh, Before we dive into God's uh, word together this morning, just want to highlight one quick reminder for members in our church. Uh, We had a special congregational meeting this past Wednesday where we voted on two things, new members and a proposed amended constitution. So I just want to remind you guys that uh, to vote today before 1 p.m., uh, you should have got so, those details in your, in your email inbox. And so please make sure to check your inboxes if you're yet to do so. And if you have any questions or challenges, you can uh, visit the table out in the lobby with a sign that says member check-in. On another note, it's good to see the entire MoCo family represented in the room. We got the kids in the room and teenagers today. So we're excited to have you guys. Yep, we can give it up for them. And just want to remind our extended church family, today is not a day where we take a break from Kids Quest. We take a break from uh, The Rock in, in regards to, yes, programming is closed, uh, but we don't take a break from discipling uh, younger members of our church family, all right? So as uh, the kids join us today, as we sing, as we pray, as we study God's word, as we take from communion together, uh, those are ways that we have the opportunity and great privilege to disciple kids And actually, church family, that's in alignment with God's word. So you might remember a couple months ago when we were still in the book of Mark, uh, we studied just the importance of the whole church coming around the next generation and the importance of us being uh, faithfully living out God's biblical mandate for us to raise up young people in the ways of the Lord. So please, uh, although for some of you this might feel like a little bit of an inconvenience, I want to remind you it is not. We are obeying God today by having... Uh, all of our family members. Amen? Amen. All right. And if uh, parents, if you got like a younger child, like an infant or a toddler that uh, needs a diaper change or needs to be soothed because they're having a little bit of a hard time, uh, there is a room in the nursery that's open and available if you want to walk in there and, uh, and take care of your kid. Uh, so this morning, we're going to spend time in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 40. So you can go ahead and turn there. You got a Bible on you. We'll have verses on the screen. And uh, kids, this is a great time to not only take out your Bibles, but it's also a great time to take out your activity sheets. And so you can color on those or you can doodle as you're listening to the message. And if you've been following our sermon series in the book of Mark, I know it's felt like it, but we've been in Mark chapter 12 for a long time. And uh, we got this text today and we got one more text in Mark 12 uh, next Sunday. Uh, But as we've studied Mark 12, there's been a series of questions coming Jesus' way. And in last week's text, Jesus actually silenced these religious leaders that questioned him over and over again by quoting the greatest commandment of all time, to love God with everything that we are and to love people as we love ourselves. And so all for the purpose, as Pastor David shared, of experiencing our highest good and greatest joy uh, in Christ. And the silence of this crowd leads Jesus to ask a very important question and also issue a serious warning. And as I studied the text uh, this week, I landed on this point to summarize it for us. So here's our bottom line, and it's this. Submitting to Jesus should change the way you live. All right, submitting to Jesus should change the way you live. Somebody say live. And I want to show you how we see this in the text this morning Uh, So let's go ahead and read uh, verse 35 uh, through 40. And it says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, 
The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Like David himself calls him Lord, then how can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. In verse 38, he also said in his teaching, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. So back to verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? So Jesus asked a thought-provoking question, kind of like when teachers ask you a hard question at school, kids. And to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand what, what is the word Messiah, what that means, and who is David? So the word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word that means anointed one or chosen one. In biblical times, an anointed person meant that they were set apart for a specific role with a God-ordained purpose. So in the Old Testament, it was predicted that a deliverer chosen by God himself would save the nation of Israel. And the Jews would refer to this deliverer as their Messiah. And in the New Testament of the Bible, the book of John ends by, by stating that its purpose was for it being written was so that readers would know and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, affirms that Jesus was the Messiah. And the ultimate evidence of Jesus being the Messiah was confirmed when he resurrected from the grave. So Jesus was the chosen one from God with a God-ordained purpose of saving humanity from their sin. So kids, think about a hero, all right? Maybe when you think of a hero, kids, you think about Rocket. All right? You think of Rocket saving the galaxy. We got a picture here. Or maybe you think about Super Mario saving Princess Peach. Peach, you're so cool. <laughs> Y'all know the song. Uh, or maybe you might even think to our younger ones, you think of JJ, all right? So JJ from Coco Melon. And I got to be honest, JJ's my hero right now because every time my, my little baby girl is crying, JJ sues her, all right? There's a reason why she's in the room with the, with the mirrors because that girl be tripping. But all right. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this weekend is a reminder of who the real, of who the real heroes are. We got a picture of these real heroes. Right, this Memorial Day weekend, I'm utterly grateful for the veterans who have sacrificed their lives for the safety and freedom of our country. And if you're a member of the United States military, my heart just goes out to you, and I thank you this morning for your service. And I pray God's blessing and favor upon you and your families as you guys faithfully serve our country. And I also pray that God will comfort you as some of you mourn the loss of your brothers and sisters in arms today. But back to the text, the people of Israel waited on their hero, but they didn't quite realize at the time that this hero was, would be Jesus. So what's the connection between the Messiah and David? Well, David is one of the former kings of Israel who ruled during the golden era of Israel. You might, you might remember David is a young uh, shepherd boy that fought off lions and bears and even slayed a giant named Goliath that threatened the people of Israel. And under his reign, Israel prospered as a nation. They won many battles and they sought the Lord. But then David, after his death, his son Solomon ruled with all wisdom. And after Solomon's rule, he had a lot of wisdom. But after his reign, Israel divided into two kingdoms and then the nation began to decay. So the people longed for a Messiah to come and restore them. 
They envisioned a great king like David that would rescue all Israel from their enemies on earth. So the Jews believed and taught that the Messiah would descend from King David, from his line, although they didn't know who exactly the Messiah was at the time. So following Jesus' question in verse 36, he responds with an answer to his own question. He says, David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So here Jesus is quoting from Psalm 110 verse 1, where under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God confirms through David that the Messiah is coming. And Psalm 110 is widely known as a prophetic psalm because the psalmist had, declared, had received a direct revelation from God. But also, it's quoted several times in the New Testament in defense of Jesus being the Messiah. So in Psalm 110, verse 1, the word LORD in all caps, so when you look it up in Psalm 110, the word LORD in all caps refers to the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is referring to God here in Mark chapter 12. And my Lord in lowercase letters is Adonai, a Hebrew word that acknowledges a person or sometimes God as their master. And here in particular, the second my Lord is referring to Jesus. So what David is writing is that God tells Jesus to sit at his right hand, which is the highest place for, of honor and authority. And here David acknowledges that Jesus is his Lord. So Psalm 110 predicts the victory of Jesus over all his enemies as they're placed under his feet, which is a sign of position of power. And, that, and what it was pointing towards is that Jesus would one day declare victory over sin, death, Satan, and all who oppose him. Like Jesus was meant to be a hero that would spiritually deliver his people, not just physically deliver them. So Jesus quoted this to demonstrate that he was not only David's descendant, but also his Lord. And he is the Messiah, the Christ, and David's Lord who will sit at God's right hand and receive all the glory. So Jesus continues in verse 37. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. So Jesus continues to defend his point. And in these days, typically a son would give honor to his father and not the other way around. So if David called his descendant my Lord, he clearly was more than just David's son. He is David's sovereign king to whom he must bow. So Jesus used the scriptures to show that the Messiah would indeed be a human descendant of David, but he would also be far more. He would also be divine. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh, fully human and fully God. And because Jesus is God and has always been God, he deserves the rightful title as Lord. Like 2,000 years ago, he left heaven. He became a man and he dwelled on earth, and he came to embody and preach God's word. And he came to die for the sins of the world and reconcile people to God. And he is a resurrected king that sits at the right hand of God, to whom God has given all authority in heaven and on earth. And the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time expected the Messiah to rescue them from the rule of the Romans and establish a kingdom on earth. They believed in the Messiah, but had an incomplete understanding of the Messiah. So Jesus raised this issue so that the Jewish leaders would comprehend his true identity, which they probably caught, but they didn't accept. But regardless, Jesus was on a mission as God's chosen one, as his anointed one to deliver his people spiritually through his death and his resurrection. And he would one day establish his kingdom on earth and reign for all eternity. But it wasn't the time for it yet. 
So as the Jewish leaders aimed to trap Jesus in Mark 12, it only resulted in the crowd listening to him with delight. And then verse 38 through 40, it says, Jesus also said in his teaching, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. So as Jesus continues teaching, he issues a warning. Somebody say warning. And he says to watch out for the scribes who taught the law. And not all of them did this, but some of them sought praise from people in abuse of their authority. And because the scribes were teachers of God's word, they should have been an example of godliness and humility to the world around them. But rather, they chased after public honor and public recognition for themselves. So teenagers, to sum it up, they were thirsty for clout. All right? And adults, if you don't know what that means, just Google Urban Dictionary and type in clout, all right, with the T at the end, not a D. And, uh, but pretty much what it means is these guys wanted people to see them, all right? So they were thirsty for likes and followers and the blue verified check mark you get on IG when you've made it. You know, they went around rocking the best fits for teachers, and they loved it when people called them by their formal titles like master and rabbi and teacher, and they enjoyed being in important places were seated in places where the whole congregation would face them and they would see them. And they expected to be honored with special meals whenever, when any, whenever someone would host them. You see, during the first century, law teachers weren't paid for their services. In other words, they weren't paid to do ministry. So they depended upon the hospitality and generosity of devout Jews. So according to verse 40, they put on a show to receive benefits. To devour widows' homes was a figure of speech for exploiting the generosity of people with limited means, especially widows. So this means that they took advantage of people's kindness and even deceived people into thinking, these guys are more holier than than I am. And so they sought honor for themselves instead of of honoring the God who they profess to serve. So kids, their leadership style was kind of like Bowser, all right? They were filled with pride and selfish ambition. And in some ways, we can all relate to this. Like we chase after things of this life that will give us higher position, power, and praise. Like in our pride, we pursue glory for ourselves rather than seeking to glorify with our, God with our lives and in humility serving others. And some of us would do or even risk anything with, for more popularity or fame. And we're all prone to this. We're all prone to pursue this. Like even leaders in the church abuse of their congregations for more attention and followers and to fill more money in their PayPal accounts. Like instead of pointing people to Jesus, these individuals were seeking attention for themselves. And in similar ways, there's many leaders and pastors that do that by preaching unforgettable sermons or offering flashy entertainment in their services or crafting compelling social media accounts for people to follow them. And Jesus reminds us to be aware of those who lead in the church out of selfish ambition. And this text emphasizes the difference between those who serve with hypocrisy and those who serve God with true devotion. So Jesus condemns this kind of conduct and greed, especially for those who lead his people. And God's word, his word affirms it in James chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, these individuals one day that teach and live like this will receive harsher judgment. So if Jesus is Lord of our lives, we shouldn't live this way. And I pray that God would guard and protect leaders in this church, including myself and members of this church family, 
to not live like this. Like, may we live in submission to Jesus as Lord over our lives and in humility submit to one another, putting the interests of others above our own. I pray we would walk in humility, utterly dependent upon God's spirit to give us the ability to live and love like Jesus did. So how do these five verses apply to our lives today? Well, here was the bottom line. Submitting to Jesus should change the way you live. And I'm going to walk us through just three quick questions for you to reflect upon. And then at the end of the sermon, I want to give you some time to process those questions between uh, you and the Lord. So here's our first question. Number one, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Somebody say Lord. Jesus is God. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a religious leader or a prophet or a God made by human hands or a created being that is lesser than God. Like despite what other religions might claim, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, that he and the Father are one, that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is the creator of all things, according to John chapter 1, which gives him the rightful title as Lord over all. And Jesus isn't only Lord and Messiah for the people of Israel. He is the chosen one from God that was sent to this world to fulfill the purpose of saving all people from their sin. You see, the Bible teaches that all humanity has sinned against the holy God, which means we rebel against God in his ways. And our sin leads to death, which separates us from God for all eternity. However, God sent Jesus to earth and he became a human, living a sinless and perfect life. And since he never sinned, Jesus was able to pay the penalty for our sin through his death on a cross. And he rose again to free us from our sin. And the good news for us today is if we believe with our hearts in what Jesus has done for us, confessing our, our sins before him and trusting him as both Savior and Lord over our lives, we can be saved and receive eternal life with him as well. You see, the long-anticipated Messiah of the Old Testament is the Savior King for the entire human race. And he came to save everyone, and after he rose again, this is what God did in Philippians 2, uh, verse 9 through 11. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is our king now, and he's already seated at the right hand of God because he is Lord. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And the hope is, is he will deliver those who trust him from sin, death, suffering for all eternity, and he will dwell with us in his kingdom. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, then how can I make this Jesus the Lord of my life? It's simple. You cannot make Jesus the Lord of your life. He's already Lord, and what we are called to do is submit to his lordship, and this means we humbly respond to Jesus as Lord by yielding to his will and authority for our lives, and you can do this today by confessing your sin before God and receiving the forgiveness that is offered in Christ and trusting him with your life, and when we trust Jesus as Lord, it should absolutely change the way we view our lives, and the way we view the world around us. Which brings us to our second question. As a Christian, number two, does your life show Jesus is your Lord? Like, does your life show that Jesus is your Lord? Somebody say show. 
Like, remember the warning Jesus gave of the scribes. Instead of their lifestyles and platforms pointing people to Jesus, it pointed to themselves. So if God was really their Lord, as they claimed, and as they, as they, as they claimed uh, their achievements and success, like, it should have been for God's glory, not their own. And in a similar way, like, does your life show Jesus is your Lord privately? Like, do you wake up each day and tell Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I submit to you. Like, help me to live in light of your word and obey your commandments today. Like, this is this, Jesus' lordship in your life, in the privacy of your life, leads you to read your word. Leads you to talk to God. To abide in biblical community. To run from sin. Or to share the gospel with others. Like, not only does your life show Jesus is your Lord privately, but does your life show that Jesus is your Lord publicly? As you engage with others, do they see Christ in you? Do people feel the love of Jesus from you? Do you give Jesus honor and glory for the things you've achieved in life? Do you use your talents in, or job or sport or any platform that God has given you to glorify Jesus? Or would people in your life be shocked that they found out that you were a Christian? Like these scribes in Mark chapter 12 use religion as a cover-up to live the life they wanted to live. And it's very possible for some of us in this room to fall into the same danger of using religion and using church attendance or our performance in front of others as a cover-up. However, since Jesus is Lord, we must live for his glory and his glory alone. And the psalmist gets it right in Psalm 115, verse 1, when he declares, not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love and because of your truth. So kids and teens, you might wonder, what does it mean to live for God's glory and how do I do that with my life? Like it's living in a way that acknowledges the greatness and splendor of God and praising him for it. It's living in a way that you, where you live for, the, for, the, for Jesus to be famous in your life and not your own fame. It's when you give thanks to God, showing appreciation to him because he is the giver of everything that you have. It's when you proclaim his greatness because that's who he is. It's when you rejoice in him because he is always good. It's when you seek the Lord in prayer, trusting that he knows what is best for your life. It's when you offer your life as a living sacrifice with the aim of shining bright for Jesus' glory and for the good of people around you. Like, this is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So adult, teenager, and child in the room, is this true of you today? Like, I think of Megan Danielle, a 20-year-old waitress and a worship leader from Georgia who recently made it as top runner-up on American Idol. Not only was she known for her powerful voice uh, musically, but also in, in her stage presence, but she went viral for being a young girl who was unashamed of her faith in Jesus. So in American Idol, during that competition, she would sing Christian songs, and she didn't shy away from publicly praising and pointing people to Jesus on a national level. And after she made it to the top three of American Idol, she shared on social media her gratitude and wrote in her caption, and I quote, let's keep sharing the light and love of Jesus. Even one of her judges, Luke Bryan, one of the most famous country singers of all time, he said this about her. He praised her for her unwavering faith and said, and I quote, what I love about you is you're never scared to tell everybody about your faith. 
Like Megan used and continues to use her platform for God's glory, like showing others and telling others that Jesus is her Lord. And her example brings us to our third and final question. Here's number three. Do you tell others Jesus is Lord? Like, do you tell others Jesus is Lord? Like Megan Danielle, are you vocal about your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you lovingly share the gospel with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors? Like, is the love of Jesus evident through your words and through your actions? Does your character draw people to Jesus? Or does your character push people away from Jesus? You know, some of the scribes in, in, in Mark used their platform to lead people into an empty religion that did not glorify God. However, as we studied last Sunday in Mark chapter 12, verse 33, we're called to love God with everything that we are, but also to love others as we love ourselves. And the best way we can share the love of Jesus is through our words and our actions. And we must remember that Jesus isn't only our Lord, but he is Lord of all. So people need to know this truth. Like every, every day, millions of people are dying without knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what will you do about that? Now, you may not be able to reach the world or go all the way to the nations, but God does require of you to faithfully share with those he has positioned right around you. So will you tell others that Jesus is Lord by the way you love, glorify, and reflect him? Here's the bottom line for today's message is submitting to Jesus should change the way you live. And considering this, I want to invite you to spend some time with God right where you are reflecting on the three questions we just walked through, and they're on the screens. Do you believe Jesus is your Lord? Does your life show Jesus is your Lord? And do you tell others that Jesus is Lord? So take a moment to reflect with right where you're at, and parents, feel free to reflect alongside of your kids uh, where you're seated, and then I'll pray for us. Praise you for being our Lord today. Thank you for a timely reminder in your word of the access we have to you in Christ. We praise you for that, God. We thank you that we are able to enter a relationship with you and be close to you, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you've done for us. And as a result, God, you call us to live a life that reflects you, that resembles you, bears your image. I pray that you would help us to show that you are our Lord, both in private and in public. God, I pray that you embolden us to share with others, to tell people about the good news of the gospel. Help us to not fear. Lord, help us not to seek selfish 
pursue selfish ambition or glory for ourselves, God, but to credit all the glory back to you, God, because you are the giver of our lives. Your word says that we breathe. The fact that we have breath in our lungs is a gift from you. You are the giver of all things, God, and we give you credit for it. God, I pray for those in this room who are yet to follow you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts, open their eyes to understanding, Lord, of their their need for your love, your grace, and your mercy. I pray, God, that you would meet them right where they are. God, I pray that they would, they, they would submit to you as Lord over their lives. God, we love you, God, because of what, because your word says that you first loved us. We praise you for your goodness in our lives. I pray that as we submit ourselves to you, that it would truly would change the way that we live. Help us to honor you in everything that we do. We pray this in your name, amen.